The Bible Study Podcast, episode 274. Today, the Bible Study Podcast continues the study of the kingdom of God. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. We're going to deal with three more passages today, all from Luke about the kingdom of God as we continue our study about the kingdom of God or what the kingdom of God is like especially from the Gospels. The first one we're going to look at is Luke 16. Luke 16, verses 16 through 18. Now, our Bibles label this as additional teachings. And one thing we should say about the labels in the Bible is the chapters, the verses, and the paragraph headings in your Bible were all added later on to make the reading easier. And that's great. It really does make things easier to look up. It makes it easier for things, makes it easier to memorize things. It makes it easier to understand what's going on. But we do have to understand that they're not part of the original text. And that's going to get us in a little trouble here because I don't know where to stop these verses. I'm going to do the first two verses, the first paragraph, as the NIV puts it in this section called Additional Teachings. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached, and everyone is forcing their way into it. It is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. If I were to continue on to that third verse in additional teachings, it would be anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery, and the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Not sure whether that's a related thought or a separate paragraph, as they've put it here, but it is related in the sense that, as Jesus is talking about this, he's saying that, What pleased God before still pleases God. What displeased God before still displeases God. And if we think about the law as relational, in the sense of if we don't think about the law as a series of rules or a series of laws, but as the things that God put down and said, these are the things you need to do to keep our relationship intact, then we would have reason to suspect that murder, stealing, and adultery, for instance, that were named in the Ten Commandments would still be things that would displease God because they break the relationships. So that second thought about adultery is really the same sort of thing. It's God still intends that marriage be death to you part. But let's look at this first two verses that the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John Since that time, the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is forcing their way into it. The first two thoughts there are easy and the third one is odd. So the law and the prophets proclaimed until John, John being the last of the prophets and sort of ushering in this period as Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. So the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached. We know that to be true. Everyone is forcing their way into it. And what does that have to do? It is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. How are those thoughts related? That's not all that clear to me. One thing, though, that we have to keep in mind, and this will be clear in the next two chapters, is as we talk about the kingdom of God, as Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God to his listeners, they probably have a very, very different thought process of what that means than we do. When we talk about the kingdom of God, our expectation is not that tomorrow Jesus will set up a physical earthly kingdom with him sitting on a throne, wearing a crown, 
and that there will be a boundary on a map and it will be the kingdom of God. You're in it or you're outside of it. But we need to understand as they are hearing this, some of them absolutely had that vision in their heads that this is the son of David. This is a return to the kingship of David. David, a king under the authority of God who has come to reclaim his throne and, by the way, kick out the Romans. And we can put a boundary on the map and it will be a boundary around Israel and this will be the kingdom of God, very much like what we talked about when we were studying First and Second Samuel, a real physical earthly kingdom. And we'll see that again, as I say, in the next two things. So I think that possibly one reason here for everyone is forcing their way into it is... In some ways, they are trying to force their ideas of what the kingdom of God is on this good news that is being preached. Again, not sure about that, but put that as a thought as we go on to the second chapter, which is John 17, verses 20 through 36, the coming of the kingdom of God. And this section and the next one will be talking about this, the coming of the kingdom of God. Once on being asked by Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, Here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Then he said to his disciples, The time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, There he is, or here he is. Do not go running off after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together, one will be taken and the other left. Now, this is interesting because this section starts with the Pharisees saying, when is the kingdom of God coming? And I want you to picture that they are thinking what I was talking about. They are thinking lines on a map, someone on a throne wearing a crown. I think quite possibly they're thinking of a physical real kingdom. And they're saying, when will it happen? Are you the Messiah or should we look for another? Was the question that we kept getting to Jesus. And Jesus starts talking about what we would now interpret as being end of days sort of things. In the sense of not in that time and not yet but to come. He starts talking about that there will be rumors of Jesus coming. Don't believe it. Because at the time that he comes, there will be like lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. In the sense that there won't be any question after a lightning strike that lightning has happened. And that that news 
Remember, at that time, there were few things that were instantaneous. The word that would get from one place to another would go on foot or it would go by horse, and that was as fast as news would travel. Lightning would flash from one end of a valley to another, and everyone would see it all at basically the same time. There's an instantaneous and an obvious portion of that. But he's saying the coming of the kingdom of God is not so obvious People won't say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. And it is also obviously going to come like a surprise, right? He says, in the days of Noah, people were being marrying and given in marriage. They were doing all sorts of regular things, eating and drinking and all these normal things of life. And the flood came and destroyed them. That basically they didn't see it coming. And similarly, in the days of Lot, Sodom and Gomorrah, when we talk about Sodom and Gomorrah, we talk about the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, but Sodom and Gomorrah was a real town with people eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building, doing all sorts of normal, everyday things. And yet they had been warned, and the day of judgment caught them unawares. And again, in the last paragraph here, in that night, two in bed and one will be taken, the other left. Two grinding grain, one taken and one left. Coming by surprise. So the interesting thing here is that he's saying the kingdom of God isn't what you're thinking because it's in your midst. He says is in your midst, not will be in your midst. He's talking present tense. They're talking when. So first of all, they've got the time frame wrong. But then he's also saying it's going to catch you by surprise when it comes. And what he's talking about here, we interpret to be the coming again of Jesus or the possibly the day of rapture. Again, that's a word that is not used in the Bible, but it's used to describe this event that Jesus is talking about here with one taken and one left. Right now in my personal devotion, I read a chapter of the Bible every day. I'm reading through the prophet Jeremiah. We probably won't be doing the prophet Jeremiah on the Bible study podcast because it's a depressing book. And it's a depressing book because it's like this situation here in Sodom and Gomorrah or that like this here in Noah, where there is a time where God has finally decided that he is going to act and there's going to be judgment on the kingdom of Judah. And they're going to go into exile. Jeremiah being one of the last of the prophets who prophesies before they go into exile, telling them that they're going to exile because of what they've done. And then also telling them later on that they will come back after 70 years, that they will be brought back. And one of the interesting things I'm finding as I'm reading through that book is, well, why didn't they understand that? Why didn't they listen to Jeremiah? Why didn't they hear him? And you get through like the 28th chapter of Jeremiah and you find out there's all sorts of other voices saying all sorts of different things. There are false prophets saying, oh, no, no, everything's fine. And I think of that with Noah and I think of that with Lot because I think there were other voices saying, no, everything's okay. Uh, Don't worry about it. That yes, there's a guy building a boat here, but he's just crazy. Lots of other voices probably saying that. Other people looking at Lot and saying, yeah, he just, he's old-fashioned. He just behaves that way. We know better. We're new. We're different. We're not bound by those same rules anymore. Or whatever they were saying. But there are lots of other voices. But at some point... When you look back at the prophet Jeremiah versus the false prophets, we don't have the false prophets books because no one thought they were worth keeping. Because at some point it became clear that Jeremiah was right and the others were liars. At some point it became clear that Noah was right and the other voices were liars. At some point it became clear that Lot was right and the other voices were liars. And at some point it will be clear that the kingdom of God has come 
even though Jesus says it's already here and it's already in your midst. And then the last set of verses here from Luke 19, verses 11 through 26, the parable of the 10 minas. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minas. Put this to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him. We don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came in and said, Sir, your minute has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your minute has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here's your minute. I have kept it away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid... Of you, because you are a hard man, you take out what you do not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you not, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his minute away from him and give it to the other one who has ten minutes. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. Now, that has always struck me as the oddest verses in the Bible or some of the oddest verses in the Bible. But, you know, I'd also have to say that I have never associated that with the coming of the kingdom of God. And yet that's exactly why Jesus tells that story. Some people think that the kingdom of God is going to appear at once. Again, lines on a map, someone on a throne, kingdom of God, obvious, expecting it now. And Jesus tells this weird story about a hated person who has become king. And isn't that an odd thing? Usually Jesus is telling about somebody who you go, well, clearly that person in the story is God and God is the farmer and whatever. And yet this is not a story where you go, that hated person is just like God. And yet somehow in here we have a story about the kingdom of God. Now, one of the things that we get here is that everyone was told he was coming back in the beginning and everyone was given instructions. Here's money, put it to work. I'm coming back. Those were the instructions, right? I'm going away. I'm going to be anointed king. I'm coming back. Here's money, put it to work. So when Jesus is being asked about the kingdom of God, he's talking about investment strategies. Quite possibly there's more to it than that. But all of these verses have to do with the question of, is the kingdom of God going to appear at once? I believe that this is a parable about responsibility. This is a parable about calling. This is a parable that says, what have you done with what you have been given? Because the king is coming back. No, the kingdom of God isn't in the way that you think lines on a map here today. But the king is coming back. No, the kingdom isn't, dear Pharisees, someone sitting on a throne here now, coins and flags and everything else that you may be expecting. But the king is coming back, and what have you done with what you've been given? With that, we're going to end this episode of the Bible Study Podcast. If you have any questions, feel free to send an email to host at thebiblestudypodcast.com or 
leave a comment on this episode at thebiblestudypodcast.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Chris2x. And as always, thanks so much for listening. Is life feeling chaotic? I get it. I'm Rachel Wojo, host of the Untangling Life podcast. Don't miss the passionate encouragement and faith-based resources you need to help you clear your head and calm your heart. As Shell says, it feels like Rachel always knows what I need to hear. She keeps it real and is so humble. Her podcast is just the cherry on top. Enjoy Untangling Life with Rachel Wojo on lifeaudio.com or your favorite podcast app now.